You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional audio resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Good morning, Northway Church. Feeling all right? Yeah? It's good to see you. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab those. We're going to be in the book of Colossians this morning. We'll be in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. And while you're finding your place and getting comfortable, let me introduce myself for those who may not know me. Uh, My name is Ian O'Donnell. I serve as the students minister here at Northway Church, meaning I have the privilege to work with our middle schoolers and our high schoolers. And on just behalf of our team, I just want to say again, welcome. We are so glad you are here with us today. Uh, And if you're a guest, I want to extend a special welcome to you. Uh, Welcome to our gym. Uh, As you drove in, you may have noticed the gaping hole that is in our worship center. Uh, We were affected by the tornadoes that happened in October, uh, and by God's grace, we've been moving to a lot of places, and for the foreseeable future, we have now landed in this space as our our home. Uh, And friends, I just wanted to take a moment uh, to encourage us. My first five years as a legitimate, like, Christ follower uh, happened in in a church that operated out of a high school gym, and I wouldn't trade those days for anything. And it's just a sweet reminder for all of us that the church is so much less about its places and so much more about its people. And I'm excited for what God has in store for us uh, in the season ahead in 2020 and beyond, believing the best days aren't behind us. They are in front of us. Trusting in, if we're willing just to lean in, say, God, have have your way. Do whatever you want with us. But please do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Amen. So I'm excited for what's ahead. I'm excited for what God's going to do today. Uh, So with that said, Colossians chapter one, we're gonna look at verses 15 through 20. I'm gonna pray again. I hope you don't mind. Then we're gonna jump in. So this is Colossians chapter one, starting in verse 15. And the word of God says this. He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent." For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, we thank you again just for the opportunity to gather as as your people, as one body, as one family in Christ as brothers and sisters who, who long to be reminded of who we are in you, Jesus, who we are because of you. And Father, I pray as we, as we enter into the last Sunday of 2019, the last Sunday of this decade, Father, I pray we approach our time together not just as business as usual at church, but I pray it truly would be a time that we could remember for the rest of our lives, knowing God, you met with us today, that your spirit was evident among us today. So God, I pray you would make your word not just clear, but real, that we would walk away not just knowing, 
your word, but believing it too. And church family, if you're willing, I'd like to invite you uh, to pray a similar prayer for yourself. If you're willing, uh, ask the Lord to speak to you this morning. Um, I don't know what the holidays were like uh, for everyone. For some, it could have been really restful, and for others, it could have been incredibly stressful. Uh, And either way, I know God desires to meet you exactly where you are. He desires to speak with you today. And if you're willing, if you have an open mind, open hands, open heart, I know that he can do anything. So ask him to speak to you today. Ask him to move in your life today. Take a few moments and do that now. Father, we love you and we trust you. May your word and your name be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, we are once again at that unique time of every year where we're past Christmas, but we're not quite to uh, the new year. And I don't know for y'all, but for me, this is when everything all of a sudden becomes under review. Uh, December is when I start asking the questions of, like, if I were to look myself in the mirror, I begin to ask, like, am I okay with the person I have become? Are we okay with the person we are becoming? Maybe we come back to these questions of, like, am I doing the right thing with my life? What am I supposed to do with my life? Or we come back to the often church question of what is God's will for my life, right? Right? Does my life matter? Am I making a difference? Is my life significant at all? Is it even important? And I believe with full certainty, the good news for us this morning is I believe God wants to answer that question for us. That he doesn't want us walking around in the dark when it comes to the idea of our purpose our existence, of why we are here. He wants you, he wants me to know the point of our life. But I do think it'd be worthwhile if we were to pause for a second and consider, what would you say your life is for? Like if you had to say, you know, this is, this, is, this is what my life is about, what would you say? What was the point of your life? If you had to put a stake in the ground and say, this is what I'm about, this is why I'm alive, this is who I am, what would you say? This is a question I try to pose as often as I can to our middle schoolers and our high schoolers, and I phrase the question this way. I ask them, what are you most passionate about? Out of everything in the cosmos, there is a number of things you could be passionate about, but what are you most passionate about? And they look at me often pretty perplexed, like some of you are right now, and that's fine. Um, but I, I give them a follow-up question. I just ask, like, okay, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What helps you wake up day in, day out, regardless of circumstance, regardless of what's going on? You're ready to take on the next day of what we call this life. And again, they'll look at me and they're like, my mom gets me out of bed in the morning. Is that what you're talking about? I'm like, not, not quite, but I hope y'all are following me this morning. If you had to answer that question, what would you say? What are you most passionate about? What would you say is the driving force that gets you out of bed day in and day out? Or perhaps the question we should be asking is what should we say, right? Not necessarily what are we saying, what could we be saying, what should we be saying? 
Because I think we could, we could agree across the room today that some causes are more important than others, right? Like possibly ending human trafficking and ending modern day slavery or making sure every culture of people has clean water is arguably maybe a little more important than discovering the greatest chocolate shake the world has to offer, right? There are some things that are more worth our life, our investment, our affections than others. So what should we be living for? If we were to rally our lives around something, what should it be? And I believe we'll find that answer this morning as we turn to Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Where we find our place in the book of Colossians, uh, Paul, the writer of this letter, is writing to the church in Colossae to a group of people who would say, I, I love Jesus, I know Jesus, I'm a Christian, but over time, they've become to doubt exactly who Jesus is. They once upon a time believed he is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. Yes, he did die for all of mankind's sins. He did rise from the grave. And yes, he did ascend into heaven. But over time, they begin to doubt. They're not quite sure if Jesus is truly who he says he is. If he's truly better, if he's truly sufficient, if he's truly enough. They start to believe, well, maybe he was just like, maybe the best prophet the world's ever known. Maybe he's just some super powered angel but is he the son of God? I'm not sure anymore. So Paul, back then in the Holy Spirit today, I believe, wants to speak truth and accuracy and clarity into our lives about who Jesus is, which is good news for us. Because when we're talking about the subject of God's will for our life, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak truth, accuracy, and clarity into all of our lives this morning because that has everything to do with who the person of Jesus is. So with that, Colossians chapter one, diving into verse 15, we'll start here. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So out of the gate, Paul is just basically helping them understand like, hey, if you've ever wondered what God would be like if he were here, if he were to walk among us, if how he would approach the hurting, how he would approach the broken, how would he approach issues like justice and mercy, how he would love those who are hard to love. How would he approach the broken? What would Jesus do? He was like, you can. Jesus is God in the flesh. He reiterates this later in verse 19, where he says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Like this beautiful reality that we just reflected upon with Advent and Christmas of God became like us so that we could become like him. Friends, this is, a, this is an idea and a reality that we shouldn't just relegate to December. This is an idea that God came close to us. He drew near to us. So we're ever thinking of like, Jesus, can you sympathize with me? Do you know how I feel? Do you understand the hurt or the pain or the sorrow I've experienced in my life? And Jesus can say, yes, I do. I've been there. So we can lean into him. We can trust him. That's how Paul starts. It's like, Jesus is the son of God. He is God in the flesh. He's God among us. But moving forward in verse 16, he's now going to give us reason number one for why we exist, the purpose of our lives. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So that's reason number one. The reason you and I exist is we were made by a person and for a person. We were made to know this Jesus and be known by this Jesus. Not know about him. Not make sure our good outweighs our bad. 
Not make sure that Jesus is just a part of our life, but know that he should be the center of our lives. Friends, if we, if we, if we miss the, the reality that Christianity is just is first and foremost about knowing this God and being known by him, you've traded it for a game we can call church but you were made by a person and for a person. That's where your life begins, knowing this Jesus and being known by him. An old quote by a guy named Rick Warren says it this way, you were made by God and for God until you understand that, life will never make sense. But that's a question you have to consider for yourself. Do you know Jesus? Or as Galatians 4 would phrase it, rather are you known by him? What is your relationship with him like? Is it even there? Would you call it a friendship? What is it like? Because that's step one of why we're here. You were made by Jesus and for Jesus. But Paul's actually gonna give us more continuing on in the text, verse 17. And he, Jesus, is before all things and in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. Now, one of my favorite words we'll find in all the scriptures is this idea of preeminent. Um, to define it, because it's a word I don't, I mean, maybe you say it a lot, I don't. Uh, but it just simply means the fact of something superiority. The fact of something superiority. So if we were to go back here, and we're talking about verse 17, that Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. That Jesus is the head of the body, the church. That Jesus is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. This is not an opinion, this is a fact that Jesus is the son of God, that he is the only way to salvation in life, that Jesus is the greatest of all great things. He is the king of kings. He is the savior of the world. And therefore he deserves all supremacy, all glory, all honor, all praise forever and ever. That's why we are here to know him, be known by him and make his name famous to anywhere and everywhere. That's what we're about. To so we're to put it simply, God's will for our lives is to know Jesus and make Jesus known to the watching world around us. Now, before I keep going, I would love to pause for a second because I know there are probably some in the room who are like, okay, Ian, we get it. We've heard this before. I know. But here's just one thing I want to caution us to. Friends, if we ever get to the point where we're like, we're like tempted to eye roll this reality or we're tempted to overlook or, or say, okay, I get it, I know, to the concept of like, even in our rebellion, that even when we gave God every reason not to care about us, not to want us, not to pursue us, and yet he pursues us anyway, he still takes on our sin anyway, he still dies in our place anyway, if we ever get to the place where this becomes stale, we're missing the heartbeat of Christianity and we're giving in to the cultural game of church. This cannot be stale to us. We can never lose the wonder of God's grace and mercy and love in our lives in the person of Jesus. Cultural Christianity is always going to tempt us to say, how can God further our agenda? Where biblical Christianity is saying, no, 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 it's how can we come together to further God's mission? That's why we're here. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all for. But I do know that even still, some are in the room who are like, hey, I, great. But what if God was just a little more practical sometimes, right? 
Like if I were to ask like, what, what, what's God's will for my life, I would just love for him to be able to tell me like, hey, what school do I go to? Do I go to the one in Colorado? Do I go to the one in California? What school do I send my kids to? There's so many options today. There's homeschool, there's public, there's private, there's magnet, there's charter. There's this thing called classical now, and I don't know what to do with that. Like, what do I, what do, I do there? Have you seen the market in Dallas? Do I rent right now or do I buy? I, I have no idea. Should I date him? Should I date her? Do I watch Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Come on in. We're talking about the real questions here. But I want you to consider this for a second. What if he answered that? What if he did answer you? Go to Colorado. Try the classical thing. Trust me. Buy. Just, just try it. No, don't date him. But yes, date her. Watch Lord of the Rings because, duh. Right? Here's what you would get in all of that, though. You would get your what without your why. You'd be left in the same place you were before of you're doing something and it might be different, but you don't know why you're doing it. And Paul actually addresses this later in the book of Colossians chapter three, verse 17. He gives us a how, he gives us a reason. This is what he says. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's what Paul's saying. Whatever you do, it doesn't matter. Now, to be clear, what you do matters. You're all talented and gifted in a number of different ways, and God has equipped you to provide for your family, be generous to those around you. But mostly it's for this reason, to give glory to his name. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you end up doing. The purpose of it never changes. Whatever you do, in word or deed, in the words you speak and in the actions you take, do everything, whatever it is, in the name of the Lord Jesus, to the glory of his name, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It doesn't matter at the LA what you end up doing. Buying, renting, dating this person or this person, going to school there, sending your kids here. It doesn't matter. The purpose in it all should never shift. It's always for Jesus, to Jesus, and about Jesus. His glory, his name, his fame. That's the heartbeat of Christianity. There's this old quote I love by an old theologian by the name of Irenaeus. He says, the glory of God is a man fully alive and the life of man consists in beholding God. So if you've ever wondered, maybe you're doing everything the world says you should do and have all the things the world says you should have. You're like taking on the progressions of life. You graduated college, you got your job, you're moving up in the company and then you got engaged and then you got married and then you had your kid and maybe you had another kid and then you finally bought. And after all of these things, something just still seems to be off. That no matter how much you get or how far you go, something still seems to be missing. And that's because you were made not necessarily for those things, but completely for this thing. You want to experience the full potential of what your life's meant to be? You live for God and his glory. The glory of God is a man, a person, a woman, fully alive. And the life of man consists in beholding God. I love this idea so much. Um, when I first became uh, a believer, one of the ways I know I actually made this transition because I heard the gospel when I was 13 and then I just ended up doing this game with God for the next five years of faking it, but still acting like I was Christian. And I had a friend who loved me enough to be like, hey, you're, you're lying to everybody and you're lying to yourself. Either be a Christian or stop saying you are, which can sound harsh, but I'm grateful she loved me enough to tell me that. 
And one of the ways I know that that shift actually happened to me, I actually began to follow Jesus. I always tell people is that Chris Tomlin's song started to make sense. Um, I grew up in the church. I knew all of the Tomlin songs. I knew that they were all there. But for the first time, they weren't just lyrics I knew. They were lyrics I believed. They, they weren't just songs about truth that I understood. It was, it was truth that became real. And that's what it's like to behold God. When you're arrested by his glory, when you're transfixed by his majesty, it's like when you're in a museum and you just walk by a piece of art and you're not entirely sure what it's all about, but you can't move past it. You're fixated on it. The glory of God is a man fully alive and the life of man consists in beholding God. Friend, does that describe you? Is that your life? And if it isn't, why not? What's it been? What's keeping you from going all in on Jesus? Or what are the distractions in your life that are keeping you from just fully devoting and fighting for your time with the Lord? Because here, here's the key. If this is the point of our life, to know God, be known by God, make him known and give him glory, no matter what we're doing, how do we, how do, we do it? It's a good question to always ask. How do we do it? Well, Colossians 3.17 gives us a piece of it, Right? Whatever you're doing, you do it for Jesus. So whether it's something with your friends, something with your family, something at home, something with your business, and people are asking like, okay, where did, where did you get your creativity from? Where was your inspiration? What drives you? And, and you respond and say, like, look, I'm not trying to be weird, but honestly, it's, it's Jesus. It's what Jesus has done in my life, how he's changed me, how he's shaped me. Now, imagine then if they were to then follow up and ask you this question, who is that? Who is Jesus? Who is God? How would you respond? Like, do you, do you feel confident enough and with all certainty that if someone were to ask you that question, saying, this is what I'm, this is my life's about, this is why I go to church, this is why I do everything I do, do you think you could answer that question with certainty? Jen Wilkin has a, a very helpful quote where she says, how can you love what you do not know? And in the same way, how can we devote all of our lives and even find delight and behold a God we don't know? How can we give glory to a God we don't know? How can we actually get to the spot where we can say, no, I do know Jesus and I know for a fact that I'm known by him. How do we do that? For a second, I would love for us to take a look at Psalm chapter one. You don't have to turn there. The words will be on the screen behind me so you can trust I'm not lying to you. Uh, but in Psalm chapter one, we're just gonna look at the first two verses. Uh, and the whole focus of the Psalm is he's just trying to answer the question, how does a person be happy? Which I feel like is appropriate. That's, that's what we're trying to do in this time of year, right? That's why resolutions exist. There's something we don't like about ourselves and we believe if we can make this adjustment over the next year, we will be happier than we were before. So the psalmist is gonna say, here's how you can actually be happy and how it has everything to do with how you know God and are known by him and your relationship with him. And to take it a step further, here's actually another helpful quote just for us to consider uh, by a guy named Blaise Pascal about happiness. He says, all men, all women, all people seek happiness. 
This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step, but to this object, this is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. So basically his point whether you're aware of it or not, consciously or subconsciously, everything you do, every word you speak, every action you take is for the hope of this will make me more happy, less sad. Which I think we can, I think we can agree with that. It'll bring more joy, less sorrow. Maybe in 2019, it's more fun, less boredom, right? And the psalmist is gonna come along and say like, okay, here's how that, here's how that happens. Starting in verse one, it says, blessed is the man. You translate that word in the original language. That word blessed actually means happy. So happy is the man, joy filled is the man, happiness unhindered, that's joy. Happiness that isn't based on circumstance, that doesn't change. Joy filled is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Step number one to knowing God and experiencing the fullness of joy and what you were made to do is not standing in opposition to God. Like believing that God designed the world to work a certain way and he designed us to work a certain way in tandem with the world and with each other. And when we trust him, that leads to our flourishing. Believing that everything God has given us is not to restrict us, but it's actually trying to give us freedom. It's actually trying to give us life. You think of John 15, 11, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, everything I've said to you is so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. God's not trying to rob you of anything. He's always trying to lead you into more. So step one is like, hey, don't stand in opposition to your heavenly father who loves you. Trust him, lean into him. Then step two, we find in the beginning of verse two, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So again, we find ourselves with a word that I don't say all that much, but this word of delight, he's talking about delighting in God's word, the Bible, what, is that, what does that even mean? Uh, well, for me, it makes me think of the Texas State Fair. So follow me for a second. Um, I went to the State Fair of Texas for the first time uh, in October of 2018. And it is, it is an experience. Uh, there are a lot of things to do. There are a lot of things to eat. It might kill you, but it's there. Um, there are a lot of things to see. There's concerts, there's shows, there's rides, there's animals. There's a lot going on. It's all really, really cool. But in the middle of it all is this, this more food in the food court. And you can try it or not. It's good. You might pay for it later. You will pay for it later. Um, but in the entrances, at least there's one entrance. It might be the exit and the entrance. There's a gigantic massage chair showroom. And hold on. This isn't like your mall massage chair. This is a different level. Like you get, like you get over there, you got to take your shoes off and you sit and then it wants to hug your calves and your feet. And then you put your hands and your arms in those little slots and then they start hugging all that too. And then you get tilted back and you're like in a different world now. But then all of a sudden the salesperson comes up to you and they're like, hey man, for $30 for the rest of your life, you can have this chair. And I'm like, stop it. That's not fair. I don't want to do this right now. Because I don't know about for you, but whenever like I'm in a good massage chair, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to take it all in. It doesn't matter about the chaos of the state fair. I don't care about sales guy. I'm just trying to enjoy all of this right here, right now. When you get, I don't know about for y'all, but when I'm in a massage chair, I'm not in and out. I want to sit there and I want to enjoy it, right? That's what it's like to delight in something. 
It's not something you fast forward. It's not something you're just trying to get done. It's something you want to fully take in and give as much time as you possibly can. And the psalmist is saying, knowing God, the fullness of life and joy begins with delighting in God and his word. Not just reading it, but letting his word read you, letting it shape you, letting it mold you, letting it change you, letting it convict you and lead you to repentance, letting it give you by the power of the spirit, the strength to live in holiness, to love not just your neighbor, but also your enemy. It begins here, delighting in God's word. And then he says, meditate on it day and night. Now, I'm really grateful that he says like the word meditation. Um, first, when we think of meditate, don't think of the world. The worldly idea of meditation is the emptying of oneself, the emptying of one's mind. That's not biblical meditation. In the Bible, it actually means the filling of one's mind, but the filling of the right things. It's filling, meditating on the character of God, his gospel, his nature, his word, his character, his kindness, his love towards us. That's what it's about, filling your mind with who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Reminding yourselves of things of are true when the world constantly wants to flood our hearts with lies. I'm also really grateful it says meditation over studying. Because for me, whenever I think study, it, it's stressful for me. And that could just mean I'm studying like the Bible wrong. I'm sure the brilliant Kelsey Ansme can tell me like I'm, I'm messing up here and she can teach me how to do better. But whenever I think of study, I also just think of my brain. Like I'm just filling my mind. But when I think of meditation, I think no, it's not just my head, it's my everything. It's my soul, all of who I am being enriched by God, his presence and his word. And before we move forward, I just, friends, I do want you to know, I don't do this perfectly. Like I, I want you to know this as the person who works for this church, the guy with the mic right now, I don't want to read my Bible all the time. Surprise. I, I don't. Like if I were to be honest, there are plenty of days where I wake up and my email box is calling. I'm just trying to knock it out, doing the next thing. Go watch another episode of The Mandalorian or anything on Disney Plus because it's all there now, right? There are plenty of days where my flesh is just wanting to do literally anything but sit at God's feet to pray, to spend time with him. But it's just by the power of the spirit and him alone that he just pulls me in here. It's like, even if it's just one chapter, read it. And I've never, ever regretted a second with God and his word. I don't know about for you, but I've never, whether it's five minutes or an hour, I've never regretted any time spent with Jesus. It's always exactly what he said it would be, life-giving. It leads us to himself, the fullness of, of life, of water that never runs dry. And I know this could be harder for other people. Like I know like when we're talking about this, it can, the circumstances are different. I know for parents, it's like maybe you've got to, you got to learn how like a parent can play defense so you can make sure you're getting time with God and his word for the first time and forever where it's uninterrupted and unhindered. But friends, we have to fight for this. We have to take the time to spend time with Jesus. Like when, like we need to take the time to remember that as we delight in God's word, he takes delight in us. He desires to be with us. And that's how Colossians, like our time in Colossians finishes in verse 20. 
It says, and through him and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Like Jesus desires to be with us. We just talked about all this with Advent and with Christmas. That again, despite of everything we've ever done, we've spat in the face of God. We say, God, I want to live my own life. I want to live my own way. I'm going to be the writer of my own story. And maybe that's never a words we've actually said out loud, but it's certainly how we've lived. And there are plenty of things in us that we regret. That's what this year is really good at reminding us of. Things we wish we would have done differently. Things we're guilty of, things we're ashamed of. And Jesus comes down, he says, no, I'm taking that from you. I love you, I'm, I forgive you, I'm on your side. Believe me, trust me. Like it's this paradox we see that Jesus desires to give us peace by his blood. That when the wrath of God was rightly aimed at us, Jesus says, no, 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 God, I'll, I'll take it. And Jesus takes God's wrath. He takes our debt. He literally becomes our sin. To not put you in a box and make you live a boring, joyless life over here, but rather to lead you to the fullness of life, the fullness of joy, to understand with full certainty, this is why you're alive. To have peace with God, peace with yourself. Church family, as, I, as we... As we consider resolutions this year, there's, no, there's absolutely nothing wrong with resolutions, but I just want you to consider every year resolutions exist because there's something inside of us we are not happy about. There's a lack of peace and a lack of contentment within ourselves. And I just want to propose maybe the lack of peace and contentment you have within yourself is due to a lack of peace and contentment in your own relationship with Jesus. Perhaps that's where we need to start. Maybe reconciling with him is, needs to be step one with us. And what makes the gospel so beautiful every single year and every single day is that God isn't looking for your self-improvement every year. He never has been. Following Jesus and believing in his gospel is not about you getting better. It's about finding Jesus as better. Believing he's better. Believing that he's enough. Our resolution for 2020, for the next decade, the rest of our life, isn't try harder. It's rest in and with Jesus more. It's confess your sin more. Repent more. Delight in God more. Meditate on his word, his character, his goodness more. Don't just read his word. Let his word read you, challenge you, instruct you, lead you to repentance. Our resolution for the next year and the rest of our lives shouldn't be about us getting better, but about finding Jesus is better because your life's beginning and end begins and ends with Jesus. Whenever my students again look at me very confused when I ask them what they're most passionate about, or what gets them out of bed, I, I respond and tell them my answers. And I say, there's a lot of things that I'm passionate about, a lot of things get me out of bed, but there are three in particular that I always think of. And the first is my job. And I, I get to do this, and I get to like party with our student ministry and talk to them about Jesus. I love it. Um, but also is my wife. I get to wake up every day next to her, and we get to do this thing together. 
But first and foremost, without a shadow of a doubt, I'm most passionate about Jesus. What gets me out of bed every day on the hardest days and the easiest one, it's Jesus alone. By God's grace, this may, Lord willing, I make it there. I will have followed Jesus for 10 years. And there has been absolutely nothing easy about those years. Following Jesus is not like you follow him and everything just becomes magically easier. You can ask any Christian. That's not how it goes. But his word has never returned void. His promise is true that he has been with me every single step of the way. Like friend, if I can convince you of everything, if you're just on the fence about this, you can, you can trust in Jesus. You can lean into Jesus. He's worth not just a part of your life. He's worth your entire life because you were made by him and for him. And your life is fully experienced, exemplified when you're living for his supremacy, believing in his preeminence to the glory of his name forever and ever. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. That it challenges us, that it convicts us, that it molds us into the image of your son. So Father, I pray for the people in the room. I pray for myself, God, as we, as we look back not on just the next, the past year and the past decade, I pray God, would you help us see that you've always been on our side, that you've been for us, that even in the midst of our doubts, our questions, you've always been there. You've always been trustworthy. You've always been good. As we look ahead to the next year and the next decade, God, may we fully lean into you believing that you're worthy, believing that you're enough, that you are who you say you are, that you really are the son of God. You really are the savior of the world. You really are worthy of everything we could ever give. God, help me, help me trust that. Help us trust that. Teach us to walk with you for a lifetime. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.